What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 52 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I'm so excited you tuned in today. Today is, as we said at the end of the last episode, many of our episodes have always leaned into the informational, inspirational category. Today, capital I, inspiration. I can say that because I was inspired. I remember receiving the story via email. And when we connected and had our very first phone call and set up the interview and began this dialogue with each other, I never dreamed that I would leave the episode going, if he can do that, man, what's my excuse? Today, we get to sit down with a new author, an incredible speaker, but even more than that, an incredible person. His name is Chris Norton. Chris was a college football player who in one afternoon on one tackle had his future and his life changed forever. Circumstances said what he couldn't do. Life told him what he was going to be able to do. But Chris had a power that was within him that was greater than the circumstances that surrounded him. Chris's new book, The Power to Stand, tells his story about his journey. And today, you get to hear that story. You get to hear the story of someone that had every reason to wave the white flag. But instead of waving the white flag, he had the power to stand and now is causing others all over America to find the same power. So I want you to pull up a chair. I want you to put your earbuds in tight. And I want you to listen in to my time with Chris Norton. Well, Chris, it is an honor for you to join me today on Lynch with a Leader. Thanks for joining me, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm honored. Well, listen, walk me back. Walk me back to growing up. What were the dreams you had as a little boy about what life was going to be like? What did you, what did you think life was going to turn out like for you? Well, I knew uh, at a pretty young age, like I loved the lake. So that was going to be my dream was I want to make enough money to someday own a lake house, you know, go to college, uh, meet the girl of my dreams. Or better yet, the girl of my dreams family already owns a lake house. Uh, even that better. Would, that would have been even better. Um, but I just wanted to make a good living, have a family, um, and just just go on with life, I guess. I, there wasn't anything like huge aspirations other than just right at that point in my life was just, I'm going to make some money. And sports were always a big part of you growing up. I know you played football through high school and college. What was it about football that you enjoyed the most? Well, I love football about 
the physicality of it. I love to kind of be able to release kind of the aggression and the anger that you have. And you could just play uh, in this kind of tenacity, fearless way. It was just fun to do that. Also with um, a team, it taught me so many valuable lessons of hard work, perseverance, things that would later um, come into play even more so. But I'm thankful to have that background with football and just understanding um, what it means to to work hard and to push forward despite uh, adversity and fatigue. You know, it's funny when you're playing it and the coaches are pushing you, you don't recognize all the ways you're going to use it. You don't recognize all the ways that perseverance and, and even that teamwork piece is going to play into your story. Did you have aspirations to play on after college or did you know why well, I played college baseball and I knew that was the final stop for me. Did you go, I'm going to play college football and that'll be, that'll be just part of my story. Yeah. I didn't, had no plans to play after college football and my whole reason too, to go in for college football. I love basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, basketball is a passion of mine. And the reason I chose football over basketball was like, you know what? I could be playing kind of the old man rec league. I can be doing, uh, you know, intramural sports at my college. Like I'll still be able to play basketball, but uh, college football is my last chance to strap on the pads. And also I was undersized. uh, So to play undersized uh, as a point guard for basketball was, uh, is an uphill battle. Um, But for football, I, I could, I could play right away. 2010 everything changed. Walk us through the story of what happened on October the 16th in 2010 and how that helped a pivot for you into who you are today. Walk us through that story. Yeah. So on October 16th, 2010, it's the sixth game of the season. It's a beautiful fall day. Leaves on the trees are changing colors. It's low fifties. Had my family in the stands watching me. And as an 18-year-old kid, you know, everything was going according to plan. Uh, life was going great. And uh, I couldn't have asked for a better start uh, to my career. I was playing more than any other freshman on my football team. And so in the third quarter, we scored a touchdown. I run out into the field. Kicker huddles us up. And he calls the play mortar kick right, which is simply a short, high-arching kick to the right side of the field. I mean, I don't know why we didn't just call it kick right because our kicker was so bad that every kick was short and high arching (laughs) (laughs) but anyway i play on the right side of the field and i knew this is my opportunity to make an impact so uh, the ball's kicked i'm sprinting downfield as hard as i possibly can go and i see this opening forming and i know that ball carrier is going to run through that hole and i time my jump but i hit him with my head right on his legs Instead of making contact with my shoulder, like I was anticipating to do, I hit him right head on. And in an instant, I lose all feeling and movement from my neck down. So I'm just face down, motionless, completely conscious. And I try pushing off the ground. Nothing works. I try again. Nothing is happening. And I'm thinking at this point, like, okay, this is going to be embarrassing. They're going to stop the game for me. The athletic trainer is going to run out. Uh, It's going to be this big show and production that I don't want. I just want to get up and off the field as fast as I can and not have any of this attention. Uh, But eventually, you know, athletic trainers come out, they check on me, they roll me over. I'm again, completely conscious, no pain. I just want to get my strength back. And I was remaining calm 
the EMTs came over, they were checking me out. I'm telling myself, okay, Chris, you're an 18 year old kid. This isn't part of the plan. Uh, just stay calm. You're from a, a small town in the Midwest. Bad things don't happen to you. It happens to other people that you read about or you watch on television, but something bad can't happen to you. And then they called in for a helicopter. That's when I knew, okay, this is serious. At that point, I just closed my eyes. And I just began to pray. Just, God, just please let this be like a big scare. Just give me the strength. Let me walk over to the sideline. Let me get back to my life, but just don't change my plan. But I discovered that you know God has a bigger plan for you than the plan you had for yourself. So you you leave that field. You're helicoptered out. When you got the news of how devastating that injury was, what was that like? What was that like to hear those words from the doctor of going, Chris, I don't know if you're going to walk again. I, I can't, I can't tell you that. What was that like for you as an 18 year old kid? Well, when I woke up on October 17th, 2010, the right after surgery, you know, I woke up thinking I just had the worst nightmare of my life. And then when the surgeon came in, my nightmare became my reality. And he told me, Chris, you have a 3% chance to ever regain any feeling or movement back below the neck. And I was stunned. Like I just could not believe it. It was like a twilight zone. Uh, I just, everything just kind of turned off and I just could not believe what was happening. But there was something inside of me. I think it was the inner athlete in me that just said, no way, not me. No way, not me. This is not going to be my life. I'm going to do whatever it takes to beat the odds. I will not be the 97% that doesn't recover from this. I'll do whatever it takes to be that 3%. And I think, like I said, I think it comes back to sports of just mm -hmm. having practices and workouts where you didn't think you could go on, but you did. You have games where you didn't think you could come back, but you came back. And as a student athlete, you just know you have to keep showing up each and every day. And I just knew that I had to fight for this more than ever. And so I went to work with the only thing I could do, which was to nod my head yes and no. And I just kept nodding my head for hours. I looked like a giant bobblehead just passing <laughs> my head around. So here, here you are now going, all right, life's going to look a little different. Life isn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. How did you get to going? How did you get up and go, you know what? I'm going to make something of this. Did, was that an immediate thing, Chris, that you went right into? Or were there, some, were there some valleys that you had to walk through in that process of getting where you are today? Well, there was both. I mean, the first off, there was a sense of panic and urgency of like, okay, I do not want this. Uh, there's no way I want this for my life. I do not want to be a quadriplegic, living my life in a wheelchair. That means all the fun, all the joy in life is now taken away. I have to do whatever it takes each and every day to get better. Um, and I'm going to do that because I, whatever I, I just can't keep living like this. Um, so I just went to work and that's how I kind of was able to help cope with my injury was just working just like just on every single day, nonstop and just keeping track of my progress and just noticing progress. But obviously there was tons of valleys too. Um, so during the day, I had great distractions with my physical therapy, with my family, my friends. But then when you have to go to bed, the lights are out, it's quiet, 
and my thoughts just start running. I felt like a prisoner to my bed just because I couldn't move a thing. And I'm thinking thoughts like, will I ever go back to school? Mm. Will I ever meet a girl that would want to be with me? Could I ever be happy from a wheelchair? And is it even worth it to keep going? Like, am I wasting my time trying to fight for something that I have no idea that's going to pan out? And then I'll never forget, it was a complete, completely changed my life. So on the fourth night of the ICU, I'm in bed, I'm restless, I can't sleep, 3 a.m. And this physician comes in to check my vitals, which is typical. Someone always comes in every two hours to check my vitals, but then they leave. Well, she does something different. She checks my vitals. She comes over to my bedside. She gets down on one knee. And she says, Chris, look me in the eyes. And she was kind of mean about it. And so I, I lock eyes with her. And she's a short, slender woman, short reddish hair, glasses. And she has this voice that sounds like she came straight out of a Western movie. And she says, Chris, my name is Georgia. I'm from Wyoming. Do you know anyone from Wyoming? I say no. And I'm thinking, where is this going? It's 3 a.m. And then she says, well, people from Wyoming don't tell lies. And I want you to know, you will beat this. Wow. You will beat this. And I just instantly lost it. I cried so hard, but she had so much conviction in her voice. And she restored my hope and faith in that exact moment. And after that, I never questioned whether it was worth the effort or the time to keep going and to keep pushing forward. And I also discovered just how powerful our words can be and how life-changing that can be. And just, I always heard those words in my head every single day after that, you will beat this. Did you ever encounter her again? Was she ever one of your attending physicians there? You know, she wasn't. She, uh, I met her though. I ran into her a couple of years later and I told her just how much that meant to me uh, in that moment. Now she has no idea that I talk or talk about her all the time, but um, I, I made sure to let her know like how impactful that was and just completely restored my faith and hope. Man, that is incredible. So going into that, Chris, how would you have described your faith pre-accident, pre that day in October? What was your faith like before and what was your faith like after? What would you say? Yeah, before I would attend church, parents would drag me there. And it wasn't a kind of my forefront or how I lived my life. Uh, my faith and belief in God was more of a break glass in case of emergency. Um, God kind of was on the backseat if I really needed him. Um, he, I would call upon it or pray. And uh, then afterwards, uh, when I was completely terrified, it was that light at the end of the tunnel with my faith, my belief in God, that God can take this pain and turn it into a purpose and that God has a bigger plan for me and just to trust in him and just to keep working and doing my part. That gave me hope to just continue to fight each and every day. And I became more thankful than I've ever been after my injury and my faith life just completely turned around. And I really realized the, the importance of having that faith as a forefront every single day versus 
just in case of emergency. And, and really some miraculous things really began to happen for you because you attended college again, the next fall, correct. In August of the next year, you went back to school, correct? Yes, I did. I went back to school. I was, uh, you know, still very dependent on other people, but I was thankful that I had a, a great team. Although I only knew my teammates for eight weeks and that they were, uh, 19 year old guys, but I had five of them. They moved into an apartment with me on campus and they all acted as my full-time caregiver. So one guy would help me get up in the morning. One guy would help me get to class, get my books. The other would help me at the cafeteria with my food. Uh, and then I also had my sister. Um, she was a nurse and she lived off campus uh, close by, completely relocated herself just to help with that transition. So I could also do like physical therapy and get to all my doctor's appointments. So I had like an unbelievable support system rally around me uh, to help me just keep going and keep going after my dreams. That is incredible. That is incredible. So you're, you're back in school and now you're growing and you're getting your degree and you began to make some monumental literal steps when it came down to graduation time. So you get ready to graduate and, and there were some things you wanted to do at graduation. Tell about a little bit about that story. Yeah, when I got to college, I set the goal that I want to walk across the stage of my college graduation. I had no idea how I was going to do it. I just started to move uh, and activate different muscles in my legs. But that was going to be the goal. And just knowing that your future will take care of itself when you take care of today. Mm -hmm. So on top of a full class work schedule, I was also doing um, sometimes up to four to six hours of physical therapy a day uh, just to make this dream happen. And I also wanted to show people just kind of what's possible uh, when you don't give up, when you have a faith, uh, have that hard work, uh, just to show what's, yeah, what's possible out there. And, and so four and a half years after my injury, I worked for this goal to walk across the stage. And so the, I also got to add, though, the day before my graduation walk, I proposed to, obviously, my then-girlfriend, Emily, uh, who's now my wife, the day before. And I was way more nervous for the proposal than the actual graduation walk I've been working on for <laughs> four and a half years. Uh, now that she would say no, I just wanted to go perfect, but it would have been really awkward if she would have said no, uh, because she would be the one that would help me walk across the stage of my graduation. And I was so nervous. Uh, it was just kind of compared to almost like an Olympic athlete. I mean, you train for four yep. years for one chance for one opportunity. And that's kind of how I felt was I've been training for this one chance, one opportunity. I didn't want to mess it up. When you accomplished it, when you were able to get across that stage, what went through your, what went through your heart? What all was going through your mind to everybody else? It's amazing. It's a miracle. But to you, you've lived every second of that journey. What was that like when you went across that stage? Well, also, I got to be honest, too, like working for that goal, I wanted to do it by myself. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to independently walk across the stage and I worked so hard. So I didn't have any regrets having someone else help me across the stage. But that was something that, you know, I guess it just I didn't understand at first when, you know, why it wasn't in God's plan, knowing how hard I worked. But then going across the stage with someone that, you know, I love and spend the rest of my life with and then. I also thought I was going to be maybe a 
hindrance to the graduation. I thought people might be irritated that I'm taking so long to get across the stage and I'm going to get booed off the stage or something. But then uh, as we're going across the stage, the, the crowd just erupted. Like the, every, people started standing and clapping and cheering. And then you couldn't ignore the sound as I was walking across the stage, which I was been up to this point, been able to tune out crowd noise as an athlete. Uh, but then I finally get there and you couldn't ignore um, the emotion that was in that gym as people were just bawling and cheering. And uh, I realized just how impactful of a moment was uh, not just for myself, but for other people. And so there's a sense of relief when I got done with it. But then I also realized too, again, God had a bigger plan for me than the plan I had for myself because that, that graduation walk was videotaped. And then it just went completely viral uh, with wow. over 300 million people seeing that graduation walk and giving people hope that they can, you know, overcome their own obstacles. And that gave me so much more purpose than mm -hmm. uh, so much more fulfillment than actually physically independently walking across the stage. If I would have done that independently, uh, that wouldn't have made an impact uh, on anybody else. So Emily enters your life. Did you ever dream, were, were you reaching the point of going, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to have that special someone? Had you, had you reached that point yet? Did you ever dream you'd find somebody like her? Well, definitely in the hospital, I thought uh, it's over. Like, it's done. I don't know if anyone's going to love me from a wheelchair. That was another mm -hmm. motivator for me, too. I, I've always wanted to be, have a family and have you know, a true love. And so I had to work as hard as I can. So I don't, I, I could get that. Uh, that's another reason why I had to, how I had to walk. Um, but as I, I went on people, um, I found that people don't necessarily judge you um, for your physical ability. It's really how you make them feel mm -hmm. and the value you offer. Uh, because my, before my identity was an athlete, uh, my physicality, uh, that masculinity of um, being a man and being a strong, independent um, protector but i realize that's not what's most important for um, some women and they just really care about your heart and the difference that you can make in other people's lives and that's really what connected emily and i is like our passion to help other people because um, she found the the nonprofit i started to help other people with disabilities and that right away attracted her to me um, for my you know perseverance and giving back to others because she shared that same passion of helping uh, kids in the foster care system. Why are you better today? Because God brought her in your life. So here you all are. You're married. We're going to get into y'all's story here in just a second. Y'all got quite a, quite a handful going on in your life. What By God providing her for you and, and you guys falling in love, has she made you better as a leader and a man? Uh, man, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, she's helped me become such a better person. Uh, she's helped even strengthen my faith and strengthen my morals and values and um, having that accountability to someone who has such a uh, passion and she has such integrity. That's what I really admire about her is that she has the strongest morals and values I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And she will do literally anything in her power to help somebody else. And she's so compassionate. So it's brought more compassion uh, and empathy out of me. Uh, than I ever could have imagined. And she also was a huge reason why I was able to walk across the stage because she helped me um, every single day for the last year leading up to the graduation walk with my walking and my training. And so she was a huge part of that. She sacrificed 
all her goals and dreams to make sure I could accomplish my own goal and dream. So uh, she's given me so much and uh, I'm very blessed to have a strong independent woman like Emily in my life. Well, you said earlier, you said, man, we, I knew I wanted to have a family one day and and you guys sort of got into it probably a little bit quicker than you thought you would when y'all began uh, a, a young lady that she was mentoring ended up moving in with you guys and that began a process that y'all been through the past few years. Tell everybody about a little bit about uh, your heart for kids and your heart for fostering and and uh, what what God's done in that season during your life. Yeah. So at the age of 23 and 24, uh, we get a phone call from a girl that Emily has a close relationship with that she's mentored over the years. And she's in the foster care system and she's 17. And she's crying, bawling that, you know, she's going to have to go to a facility, a juvenile detention center, and that would we take her in. And it was a very difficult decision for us when we were living in a small apartment in Florida. She's in Iowa. But that was kind of the beginning of our foster care journey where we, we said yes. And so we parented a, a girl that was six and seven years younger than us. And as you can imagine, uh, that comes with quite a bit of challenges, but we knew we had to help her graduate, give her that love and and safe environment that she really never has had. Uh, But uh, we've had some funny moments too uh, with her. Like we remember one time uh, she called in sick. She's at school. I went to go pick her up. I get to the nurse's office and I say, Hey, I'm here to pick up Whitley. The nurse says, Oh, sorry. Other students aren't allowed to check a student out. (laughs) (laughs) And then she chimes in, Oh no, that's my dad. And then the look on that nurse's face was just priceless. And that became one of her favorite things to do in in a public place is to refer to me as dad or Emily as mom and just see people just react and turn their heads of like, what? Trying to do the math in their head of like, how is that possible? Um, But yeah, so it started out with Whitley, but then, when Whitley moved out and graduated and went to college, uh, we opened our house up again. And I said, okay, only one child. That's it. Like we, we, just a one young child. Of course that turned into two young kids. Uh, and then two went to three, then three to four, and then four to five. And then uh, at the time of this recording, uh, five to seven. <laughs> Good um, night. Yeah. And oh, just like just how it worked out. But, they're all girls too. They're all female. And we have a female dog. Um, so I'm completely outnumbered right You're now. You're way outnumbered, man. Yeah. You are way. What's been the biggest lesson you've learned from that? What What have you learned from fostering and parenting that you probably couldn't have learned any other way? Well, I was completely naive to what's going on, not just in our country, but the whole world where these kids are suffering just horrible trauma and abuse, like things that I never believed existed until Emily kind of showed me this world, showed me and just learning about these kids' case is just how can an adult or a person treat another child the way they've been treated? But then to bring these kids in who are scared out of their mind, they've never lived in a safe environment, uh, typically, you know, are dirty and they just there's a lot of skills that they've missed but then to help them show that they are loved that they're special that they're a child of god they're wanted chosen uh, and seeing them become the person that they're supposed to be 
and their best selves is just incredible. I, 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 we've, I mean, I fell in love with it. Emily's always been in love with kids and taking care of them. I was scared. I had no idea. I knew nothing about kids. Yeah. Um, so I was terrified and I was like, I think we should slow down. But then I, I've gotten hooked. I, I mean, I love it. Just and knowing the opportunity there is to help these kids and transform their lives and, and realize that there's people out there that do love them and care about them. Um, it, it's been really rewarding for me. So, and also too, that, you know, I can also had to overcome the fear too of, of parenting from a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, I was terrified about being a dad from a wheelchair because I was spoiled with a dad who was so active. He was throwing us around the pool, throwing a football, um, just always playing with us nonstop. And that's the kind of dad I wanted to be and not being able to be that dad that I dreamed of was really hard. Uh, it just kind of opened up another wound that I didn't realize was there uh, for years. But then again, it kind of comes back to what I've always done my whole life since my injury is to focus on what you can do and what you, you can offer to not let the, the parallel, like, that my physical paralyzation affect um, my paralyze anything else in my body, like my mind. Um, so that's really been important for us. And yeah, man, that's so good. You know, when this episode airs, you've got a brand new book coming out and I am so excited about what this book is going to mean to so many people, Chris, that maybe, maybe their story's a little different than yours, but they have some adversity that they're walking through or they have some things in life. They go, I don't know if I can get through it. Tell everybody a little bit about the book, Seven Longest Yards, and what your passion is and what you want to see God to do with this book when it comes out. Well, we want to give people hope uh, and to let them know when you have those questions of, should I keep going? Is it worth it? Should I just give up? Is there really a, a bigger plan for me in my life? And we want to show through this book that, yes, uh, keep going. Like, don't stop. Don't give up. Life can be such a beautiful place when you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, when you just keep pushing forward. And that's exactly what my wife and I did. And I think hopefully it will inspire other people to do the same. Just to keep going, keep fighting, don't give up. And you just have no idea uh, the possibilities that are out there for you when you just don't give up. And you keep going. And that life's lowest moments can be the source of our greatest blessings. Mm. So where does the title come from? Where do, where is the title Seven Longest Yards? Where does that come from? Okay, so after my graduation walk um, and the impact that we saw across the world, it was naturally for us that, hey, we have to walk down the aisle mm. of our wedding on our wedding day. And so uh, we set the goal that it's going to be seven yards. So side by side, walk seven yards down the aisle after we were married. And so that was my next goal where I trained relentlessly for that. And so the seven longest yards represents the yards that we walk down the aisle, but also it represents the journey to get to those seven yards. Cause uh, the most significant part of our journey is not the graduation walk or the wedding walk that's gone viral. It's everything leading up to it. Mm. It's all those decisions to say, yes, Let's keep going. Like, let's keep pushing forward. Let's not give up. Because, uh, again, I can't tell you how many times that we felt like giving up. Oh. Even on our relationship, there was a time where um, things were fragile and broken. And thankfully, uh, by the grace of God, we uh, 
found a great church that helped, uh, you know, restore our faith, put that in the forefront and also um, help each other out uh, to even get to that wedding. So uh, the weddings felt like such a long ways away for a long time, just because of uh, how broken things were. Uh, but, you know, God just brought it all back together and we just kept going. That's so good. If people want to know more, Chris, about, and we're going to have a link in the show notes for your book and where to get that, how to follow you on social media. If they want to learn more about your foundation, what, where, where do they need to look for that? Go to chrisnorton.org. Uh, that website will take you in, in either direction where you can go uh, to my foundation or you can go to my speaking. And also something I'm really excited about too, um, by the time this airs, we'll already have the first camp, of a, a wheelchair camp for oh, kids awesome. and their family. So I'm really excited about that. It's going to be uh, the first of its kind where the kids in the wheelchair and their family and their siblings will all be able to go to a summer camp for free. And it's accessible. Uh, we're going to do zip lining, kayaking, water skiing, horseback riding, archery, uh, you name it. It's just going to be the, the best week of the year for these kids. Oh, Chris, that is amazing, man. Listen, I, I'll just tell you this. When, when we reached out and contacted each other, Man, watching your story, hearing your story, it's amazing. But what I'm most proud of is you kept living the story. And I think the easiest part in the journey would have been to go, you know what? It's not what I thought it was going to be. So my life's going to be less fulfilled than before. And I look at you and how you're using your life to bless others. You're using the story to bless others, challenge them in their marriage, challenge them in parenting. Good night. We gripe about having two kids. You got seven. Good grief. And, and all those things in life that we can look at as, man, this is, this is going to hold me back. And you just used all those things to propel you forward. And, man, I just want to tell you on behalf of, of just me, thanks for using your journey to bless others because it, it, it truly, I can't wait for that book to get in the hands of people because I think it's going to be a game changer. I really, really do. Well, thank you. That's, I mean, that's what our hopes is. And that's what drives us and what motivates us. And uh, it's given, you know, having my pain be used as a purpose mm. is such a blessing to me. And if I could go back and change that play on October 16, 2010, I wouldn't change it because I found a life and a purpose that's worth living for, which wasn't to make tackles. It was to always inspire other people through my life experiences. And so that's really what drives me every single day is knowing that uh, there's people who are struggling, who, who need hope, who need light at the end of the tunnel. And if I can use my story and my experiences to help them get going, I'll do whatever it takes. Chris, you're amazing, man. Know that we're pulling for you. Know that we're proud of you and know that I think God's going to use this in big, big ways. And so we'll make sure everybody gets that book and we can't wait to hear more that'll be coming out in your story, man. We're really proud of you, Chris. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that time with Chris. It was good stuff, wasn't it? I know many of you may go, I want to know more. I want to get more information. We're going to have notes in our show notes. You'll be able to have some links, but you can go to chrisnorton.org to find out all the information on his new book. If you want to bring him into your company, into your school, in to speak to your team, all the information is there on his website. You know, I, I think the part that surprised me the most 
is what all he is able to do and wills himself to do. And I, I can say this, I am a better person for the time I spent with Chris. I will order a copy of his book. I will pass that book off to others. And my prayer is that what seemed like something that could stop him actually became the thing that propelled him. And guess what? It can propel you too. You're going to fight through some circumstances you wouldn't choose. You're going to walk through some valleys that you don't like. In fact, one of the songs that we're singing right now at North Star is the Song of Ascent by Hillsong Worship. It is uh, probably my favorite song out there. And basically one line of the song says, whether I'm on top of the mountain or the mountain standing in front of me. Man, there are times in our lives that the mountain's in front of us. But the song that God puts within our heart is the song we sing in either place. Thank you, Chris Norton, for sharing your life with us because I'm better and I feel a power to stand now more than I did before. Thank you, buddy. Well, our next episode won't disappoint. We just keep rolling them out and we get to sit down with another super close friend of mine, Kevin Scott. Kevin is one of the brightest young leaders in America. He has authored multiple books. His company, Addo, which stands in Latin for inspiration, is working with Chick-fil-A for the Chick-fil-A Leader Academy. They are working with professional sports organizations, local schools, to help produce leaders at every level. You are going to love Kevin Scott. If you don't know him, you'll be out picking up his story. You'll be out picking up his book. You'll be inviting him in to speak to your crowds because Kevin Scott is as good as there is. And so I can't wait to introduce you to him in episode 53. But until then, if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. Share this episode with a friend or share it on Twitter or Facebook so others can listen in because our goal is to change the spiritual leadership climate of our country. And you are the link to help me do that. Thanks again for joining me today. Until next time, go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that he has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.